So I thought that I would talk to us over the next few weeks on, on this idea with friends like this who needs Jesus uh, and talk about some of the difficulties in relationship. Now, let me tell you another thing that's going on in my life is I, I decided this fall, you know, I just kind of look around for what, what am I going to study next? And so I decided I'm, I'm reading, there's a quick side note, I'm, I'm reading some, some people, quite honestly, that scare me, but I like reading people that scare me because they challenge the way I think and, they, and they're constantly stretching me. And uh, a, a, a Franciscan priest by the name of Richard Rohr, uh, a, a uh, uh, Anglican, uh, former Anglican minister by the name of Brian McLaren, and, uh, and, and part of what, when I read people like that, part of what it forces me to do, it makes me go back and say, what does the Bible really say about this? And in fact, even a little more specific than that, what does Jesus really say about this? I, I, you know, Larry Lee said, read the red and pray for power. Uh, so I'm trying to go back and read the red. I dusted out my old leather-bound uh, Thompson chain reference uh, red letter edition Bible, and I'm just and so I started just reading the red. What does Jesus say about specific things? So I thought I would combine those two things, and for the next three weeks, talk to us about what Jesus says about relationships, and particularly about some of the difficulties in relationships. So these three topics uh, for the next three weeks tonight to talk about conflict. What does Jesus say about conflict? And as long as we're in relationship, we will be in conflict. What does Jesus say about conflict? Next week, we'll talk about what Jesus says about anger. Uh, what Jesus says about, about anger. My wife is reading a book, and it's called Painful Gifts. And when I picked that up, I said... Was she thinking about me when she bought that book? Pain? I don't know. She kind of lives with this seething anger that I'm just there, you know. And uh, so, so anger. And then the final week to talk about rejection. What does Jesus say about, about rejection? Those are real parts of relationship. I promise you, if you are in relationship, you'll deal with conflict, you'll deal with anger, and you'll deal with rejection. And so, so what, does, what does Jesus say about that? So tonight we're going to kind of look a, a little more specifically at, at that, that first topic. What does Jesus say about, about conflict? Um, and the way I usually do this on, on Wednesday night, I, I, I hope this is okay, but the way I usually do this is I kind of try to have you be involved in this as well. So I want you to... Uh, so anybody that got in a real good fight with your spouse or somebody close, just raise your hand and tell us all about it. To, no, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to do that. So, oh, there, there's several that volunteered and said, "Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to do that." If you'd call branches in the morning, we'd like to set up an appointment with you. So, uh, I do. By the way, I meant to say I appreciate so much. Also, your support of branches. Uh, we see about uh, 1,500 people a month now. Uh, we. Uh, our, our, our year, I don't know how this happened, I don't, I don't know why we did this, but our year ends the last day of July. So August 1st is, our, is the first day of our new year, and so we're just looking at all the reports from the year that just ended. Last year, we gave away $480,000 in, in counseling. Uh, our mission is that, if, that we never turn anyone away. 
And, uh, and so uh, that's because of you, because of what you have done in our lives to be able to do that. And so, so thank you for your, so your part of Branches. So conflict. Let's, let's talk about conflict for just a moment. Let, let's start with this. Um, I have a, a little picture. I think that's the, yeah, this is, you know, that, it doesn't always look like this. In fact, to be honest, one of the, one of the difficult things is conflict hardly ever looks like that. Conflict more often looks like withdrawal. It looks like uh, passive-aggressive behavior. It looks like separation. It looks like submission with, a, with a feelings of, of uh, anger and bitterness seething inside. More often than not, and especially in the church probably, conflict h- hardly ever looks like a good knockdown, drag-out, you know, hit-me-in-the-jaw uh, until it's too late, until conflict has come to the point that it's too late. I pastored a church in uh, Springfield, Ohio, which is a very, very, very strong union town. It is, it is a Navistar, used to be International Harvester, was there. Very strong union town. So everything in the town was a fight. I mean, the garbage men were constantly fighting with the policemen and the, and the fire department was fighting against the city council. And everything was a fight. And so I went there, young kids, my first pastorate, and we would have church board meetings where the board would come together and it would just be this big fight. I mean, they would be literally yelling at each other. And we would leave the board meeting and they would say, wasn't that a great board meeting, Pastor? That was a great... And I'd say, no, it wasn't a great board meeting. No, I don't, I don't like that. But, you know, to be candid, as I look back, they probably had a healthier view of conflict than I did because I always constant, constantly trying to avoid and trying to, to put it away. So, so conflict. Uh, let me begin with you and asking you this. Where does conflict come from in your life? What kinds of things produce conflict? Now, this isn't testimony time or confession time, but just kind of in general. Well, not, let me ask it a different way. Not for you, but for people that you know, where does conflict come from in, in their lives? Where do you see conflict? Uh, that's it for tonight. Okay, thank y'all. Thank y'all for coming. We're pretty much done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I don't get my way, that produces conflict. What? What else? Where does conflict come from? Being misunderstood. We're going to talk a lot about that. It's just not understanding. Where else? When I don't sense that I'm valued, that what I, what I say or what I do has importance to you, I don't feel appreciated. It's a great uh, uh, place for conflict to be born. Yeah. Just not being on the same page, you know? Doris and I, uh, tonight, uh, Doris stays for choir practice, and so she said, you know what, I'll, we'll just ride together. And then I'll get a ride home after church so you don't have to stay. And I said, well, I hate for you to do that. So we'll just drive separately. And, and it, so we, she went back in to get her coat. I got in the Jeep and she came walking out and I just waved at her and drove off and left her. And so this sermon is for me tonight because she's pretty ticked about we were just not on the same page. I, so, so kind of. Where else? Any place else that conflict arises for you? When people are disrespected, and I, you know, I would say in this day and age, 
that's high on the list. We, we, we just don't feel like we are valued or respected. Good. There are, there are lots of places that are fertile ground for conflict. For the most part, the, the definition that I work with is this. Conflict is the opposition of two thoughts or opinions that appear from some perspective to be right. Now, that's an important statement. That kind of goes to what Gene was saying. Conflict is the opposition of two thoughts or opinions that from some that both appear from some perspective to be right. A lot of the way we manage conflict would be improved if we would just start with this thought. He really thinks he's right about this. She really thinks that she is right. Very often does someone enter an argument by saying, I know that I'm wrong and this is a stupid thing, but I'm going to fight it to the death anyway. We hardly, we now, I will confess, about halfway through the argument I feel that way. But at the beginning, I never say, well, I know this is dumb, but I'm going to fight for it anyway. We both have this, this idea that from our perspective, our point of view is right. And so if we, if we start with that, it goes a long way towards dis- diffusing a lot of the negative that comes with conflict. Just recognize that he really... And so I, I say to Doris, I've learned, I do take my own counseling advice. And so I, I usually will say to Doris, when I feel us starting to get into an argument, I will say, sweetheart, I want you to know I'm going to listen with an open mind to this stupid thing that you're getting ready to say. And it just helps, you know, to just say right off the bat, I'm, 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 I'm going to be open-minded about this. It, we think we are right. So, so let's, let's just look at that for, for just a second. Here's kind of a, a chart. I think that's where I am. Yeah. So here's some conflict starters. I just picked some that came to my mind as I'm thinking. The, here's my way. The national anthem is, a, is sacred and should be respected. Now, that's right. Isn't that right? It's, it's, it's right. But here's your way. There are things that are wrong with our country and need to be addressed. Isn't that right? It's right. And so I shake my fist at that guy that's protesting and say, no, no, that's wrong. But you know what? He thinks he is as right as I think I'm right. Now, I'm not suggesting who is right in that. I'm just saying we enter into the fray, both of us, having the idea that from some perspective, what we think is right. Here's, here's another one. We need music that will speak to young people, Pastor Wayne. We need stuff that's upbeat and fast-paced and too loud for my ears. We need that in the, in the church. And here's Doris's way. I love the old hymns of the church. Isn't that right? Isn't that true? Yeah. And I don't just, just, you know, people just don't stand up and complain just because they want to complain. They really do think they're right. And so both of these. Here's, here's another one. Everyone deserves a chance. Everyone. If you trace back three or four generations, I don't, I don't know for sure. I think it's probably maybe four generations that my family came to America from Scotland. I, I'm Scotch, Scotch-Irish in my background. Everyone deserves a chance. Illegal immigrants will bankrupt America. I mean, I think both of those 
opinions have some merit, they both seem to think that they're, that they're right. One more. This is probably the most serious. This is heavy. Go Vols. Go Vols. That's right. That's right. And anchor down. That's right, too. I don't know. Mike said, sorry. That's, I just threw that in to try to help people. Come, yeah. Yeah. So my point is that we enter into conflict not with some harebrained thought that I'm just going to see if I can pick a big fight. But more often than not, we think that we are supporting something or, or someone that has value and that has merit. And, and in that way, conflict is born. So, what about conflict? There is a place where my way and your way meet. And, and it's at that intersection that we try to find a starting point for dealing with conflict in our, in our relationships. Well, all right, that's, that's all well and good. But what about Jesus? Jesus surely never dealt with conflict. Surely Jesus never faced conflict in, in, in the people that he was with. Well, let's read a story. It's a, it's a pretty familiar story. It's uh, found in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter... Where is it, James? Yeah. Mark verse 35. <laughs> what chapter is it? Uh, oh, Mark chapter 10. Sorry. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Here's a, here's a familiar story. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, to Jesus, and they said, Teacher... We want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's, that's pretty bold right there. Just whatever we ask, we want you to do that for you. Uh, what do you want me to do, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. We want to be at a place, we want to be respected. We want to be at a place of honor. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drank or be baptized with the baptism I baptized with? And, of course, they responded, oh, we can. We can can do that. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drank, and you will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. He's referring to his suffering and to his death. But to sit at the right or left hand is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. That's an interesting statement in itself that Jesus says, hey, this is, this is not my deal, you know. This is, this is beyond me. This is above my pay grade to decide who does that. So there's a little conflict there. You know, they're asking to be shown preferential treatment and that's that in enough. It's difficult. Here's the problem. The rest of the guys are standing around listening to this. They hear this. Now, they don't think that James and John think they're right. They think they're just trying to get... But they really do think, hey, I, in other translations, I believe we read that their mom kind of pushed them into this. They're mama's boys. And so they're, they're thinking, hey, we have a right to ask this. And the other guys say, no, they're wrong. This, we're right in, in being offended by that. So when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. There's conflict. Jesus called them together and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their officials, uh, high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Of all the nerve, they are asking if they can have preferential treatment. 
and the rest of the disciples are incensed by that. They both think they are right. They both, both groups I mean, ignore the needs of the other. Here's another interesting thing. They both leave no room for, no alternative. We want to sit on the right and the left. That's the deal, you know. How about two rows down? Nope, right and left. Well, there's no room for alternatives. And they both force their agenda. No, this is, we want to deal with this. We want you to do whatever we ask. We want to deal with this right now. And so this conflict arises when we think we're right, we force the issue, and we, and we think there's no other place to go than this. Um, well, let me just insert here very, very quickly that conflict doesn't have to be bad. In fact, conflict is really not bad. Uh, we're going to talk in a second about what Jesus says, but I, I just want to, I, I kind of wrote this in as an afterthought, but I, I just want to, there is a, a, a philosophical principle, uh, a guy by the name of George Girdaire, who was a French uh, f- philosopher, uh, he, he explained what he calls the law of three. Uh, another earlier philosopher that, whose name escapes me right now, uh, but he, he talked about this, this law of three. He used the word synthesis, uh, antithesis, no, a thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. Somebody says, this is the way things are. Somebody else says, no, this is the way things are. Conflict arises, and out of that comes this synthesis that we, that we find a new way of thinking. That was evidenced in the story that we just read. The, one, the, the two disciples say, we want to sit on your left and right. The other group says, hey, that ain't fair. We deserve that. And out of that, Jesus says, hey, the Son of Man has come to serve. There's a, there's a whole new way of looking at this. And so synthesis arises. George Dier calls that um, affirmation, denial, and reconciliation. Affirmation, denial. So somebody says, this is the way I think we should run things in the church. Somebody else says, no, this is what I think we should do. But this law of three is at work that says, if we'll both listen to those, if rather than just saying you're dumb and that's wrong and no, with listen, then out of that can come this third reconciliation, this third idea that we probably would not have gotten to had we not had conflict. So conflict is, is a good thing in a relationship. Most of the strength that Doris and I have found in our marriage, we have found as a result of conflict. That we have, we have, we have had issues. When we lived in Ohio, Doris is from Tennessee. I know I've told Doris is from Gallatin. Every year, Doris would say, are we going to go home for Christmas? And I would say, we are home. We might go to Tennessee, but we are home. I also would say, no, I want to stay here. I want to have Christmas in my house with my Christmas tree and my toys. I want to stay here in my house. And every year, Doris would listen to that, and she would honor that, and, and we'd pack up and drive to Tennessee every year for Christmas. <laughs> there was some synthesis that came out of that for the life of me. I don't know what it was, but some good. But most of the strength that we have found in our, has come out of conflict. So, so what does Jesus say about conflict? How, how, does, how does Jesus address this? Very quickly, let me read you two passages of Scripture, and then we're going we're gonna to kind of pull some points from that and wrap it up. The two passages are Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 25, 
and then Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. I'm just going to read the two of them without really taking a break because they're both dealing with kind of the same thing. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 25. Uh, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. That's chapter 5. Now chapter 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. By the way, let me just say it's important that all of those verses be read together. We, we don't want to kick people out of the church because where two or three are gathered together, God's in the midst of them. We're kicking a piece of God out when we do that. So what we are instead are trying to do is resolve conflict and find a way to do that. So what does Jesus say about, about conflict? Uh, let me just kind of say these things to you very, very quickly and, and, uh, uh, and then we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, the first is conflict should be dealt with quickly. Deal with it quickly. Jesus says, uh, no offense, Pastor Eddie, Jesus said dealing with conflict is more important than worship. Don't come to worship if you still got conflict that you haven't dealt with. Leave your gift at the altar and go deal with this and do it right away and then come back. Conflict gives the opportunity, unresolved conflict gives the opportunity for hurt, for anger and rejection, for the difficult things we're going to look about in relationships, which is why we started with this. But conflict is the breeding ground for that when we, when we don't resolve it quickly. And so the first advice that Jesus gives to us is deal with it quickly. We have a little, a little uh, ritual that we go through in our house, and I'll come in and say, hey, how was your day? And Dora says, good. Anything wrong? Nope. Are, are you okay? Fine. No, no, really. Are you all, fine? No, no. Come on, sweetheart. Fine. I'm just fine. And you know, we'll go through that for a week or two, and then, and then, I know, and I'll say, now, now, sweetheart, look, we're going to get to the bottom of this. You know, we can we can be mad at each other for a month, or we can go ahead and get it over with now. I vote for get it over with now. And most of the time, doors say, okay, here's what you did. You left me standing in the driveway and drove to church and. I say that again. That's no big deal. Deal with it quickly. It creates opportunity for hurt, anger, and rejection. So it's important that we deal with it quickly. The second thing that Jesus says to us is deal with it face to face. By the way, he does not say deal with it Facebook to Facebook. Uh, He says deal with it face to face. 
there is something about connecting spirit to spirit, eye to eye, soul to soul. There's something about that that Jesus feels is necessary when there is conflict. Find that person, sit down with them, and deal with that face to face. To face. Now, let me. we've talked about this before, but let me just say again to help you men out a little bit. Ladies, face-to-face for men looks different than face-to-face for women. Face-to-face for women is, is face-to-face. It's elbows on, your, on the tables at Starbucks and across from each other and crying. And, and yeah, I know how you feel. That. That's face-to-face. Face-to-face for men is really shoulder-to-shoulder beside each other doing stuff, you know, building something or changing a tire or moving a refrigerator. And while we're doing that then that's a face to, and, and we deal with, con- but however we do it, Jesus says it's important for us to, to deal with conflict face to face, that we don't do this absentee or, or at this point with a third party, but we go to our brother, to our sister. And that's true whether it's in the marriage, in a, in a work relationship with our kids, or I, I remember a, a conversation my son had, most of, most of what I think I know I learned from my children, my son called me one night about 11 o'clock and he said, Dad, we got something between us. We need to deal with this. I said, I know, Josh, I know. I've, I've carried this and I'm going out of town. I'll be back in a few days. And when I get, He said, no, Dad, we need to deal with it tonight. I want you to meet me at McDonald's. We're going to deal with this tonight. And my son, who's 25 years younger than I am, taught me a valuable lesson that you deal with it quickly and you deal with it face to face. So Jesus says... Deal with conflict uh, quickly and deal with it face-to-face. The next thing that Jesus says to us in all of this is you deal with it one-on-one. That, that if, if, if the circle doesn't get too broad too quick, then most of the time that conflict can be dealt with, it can be handled, it's between the two of you, and nobody else needs to know. Um, now, this is not about marriage, but can I just say to you, couples, that is especially important in marriage. The, the greatest gift that God gave Doris and I in our marriage is we had not been married too long and we moved 500 miles away from any relative. When we got into an argument, there was nobody to talk to except each other. We had no place to run. And so we, and, and, and Doris gets mad at me. She gets upset with me. I know you find that hard to believe. I know that shocks you, but she does. She gets mad at me. She gets upset. And in, in a day or two, she's over it and she's forgotten. But she tells it to her sisters or to her mother or to her relatives and they're not over it. And the next time we get together for, you know, Christmas when I want to be at home and I have to go there and, you know, they, so it, it, Jesus says, deal with it one on one. Keep it between you and just sit down and talk about this. I, this is what I feel like is going on between. I'd really, you're important to me. I'd really like to do, it's important the conflict be dealt with in small parties, one, one-on-one whenever we can. Deal with it quickly. Deal with it face-to-face. Deal with it one-on-one. Um, and then he says um, that, uh, oh, and so while we're dealing with it, here's what we do. So what do you say? We go to Starbucks, we sit down, we put our elbows on the table. Hey, here's, first of all, you affirm the relationship. Here's a great statement. You are too, you are so important to me that I'm willing to fight for you instead of with you. 
You are so important to me. I'm willing to fight for you instead of with you. This, this, this matters to me. Can I just confess to you, I'm terrible at this. I'm awful. I avoid conflict like the plague. I run from it. And most of the real hard relationships I've ever gotten myself into, it's been because I didn't address the conflict rather than I did. I happen to work with a group of counselors. They're great at this. They just cut you no slack whatsoever. Hey, when you do this, it hurt my feelings. Let's talk about it right now. Oh, man, I don't want to talk about this. Nope, come on, we're going to talk about it right now. Affirm the relationship. This, you are so important that I'm willing to deal with the conflict. Examine your own heart. Listen, I, 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 I know there's some anger right now, and I kind of need to get that under control, and let me calm down a little bit. But I'm exam- and then we're going to address this conflict. Define the problem. Here, here's what I think is going on between us. And I'm going to give you some statements in just a minute. But, but here's what I think is going on. Define the problem. Listen carefully. Listen very carefully. Uh, and, and the best way I know to listen is to say it back. So when I drove off and left you standing in the driveway in the rain, you didn't like that. Do I hear, do I, am I hearing that right? You didn't like that. <laughs> Yeah, Doris says, you think? Yeah. yeah, so listen carefully. And then forgive, forgive, forgive. A few months ago, I taught on marriages, and we did that big scene about forgiveness. But let me just tell you, forgiveness is the heart of the healing, at, at the heart of the healing of all relationships, forgive. And finally, propose a solution. What about if we did this? What if, what if we do this? What if we, if we uh, say, go Vols and just... When Vanderbilt's in town at home, we say anchor down. What if we just do that? We propose some kind of solution. Um, it, it's important that we, that we deal with it quickly, that we deal with it face-to-face, that we deal with it one-on-one. Those kind of things are important. And then finally this. When that doesn't work, and sometimes it won't, when that becomes too difficult, then we get help. Now, I'm not, this is an advertisement for branches. I'm not talking about going to find a counselor. I'm saying Jesus says at some point, the conflict is going to be such that you bring a third party in. You bring somebody in to help mediate through that and work your way through that. There is a movement in, in education, in business, in, in certainly in, in psychology, in medicine, and, and hopefully in the church, there is this movement called restorative practices. This idea that, that the best way to address these kinds of issues is to seek restoration rather than retribution. Rather than get my own way when I don't get my own way, rather than get my own way, maybe the healthier thing would be to find some kind of reconciliation, some kind of thing that, that out of which grows that synthesis, that reconciliation that Jodair talks about, that, to, to find that instead. And so to go through these restorative practices, which includes setting down with the with the, the, the actor, the person that acted out, with the victim, the wounded party, but also with a representative of the community. Do you know, Mike and Pastor Wayne, do you know that when you guys are fighting, the church is, the church is wounded by that? So I want to represent the church and let's all sit down and not say who's right or wrong, but let's listen to both of you 
And let's, let's present some ideas. Let's pr- propose some solutions that might make all of us come out of this thing healthier and better. So we get help. Jesus says, you go to your, the person, you talk to them about it, you confront them, you, you, you affirm the relationship, you, you uh, define the problem, you forgive, you propose a solution. And when those things don't work, then you go back to the church and you say, I need a couple of guys to go with me and let's go through this process again. There's, a, there's another little verse that just sticks out there a little bit. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Uh, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now I know I'm taking this a little bit out of context. But I just said the last part of this is just stay with it. Just stay with it. I am more committed to you and to, and to healing the relationship than I am to get my own way. And this is not going to work the first time, but I'm going to stay with it. And I'm going to stay with it. And we're, going to, and we're going to keep hammering this thing out. That issue between Josh and I, my son and I that I talk about, it took us months to really work our way through it, mainly because he was right and I wanted to be right. That was one of those about halfway through I knew it was a dumb argument, but I wanted to stick with it anyway. But it took us months. But it was so important. We stayed with it. Just stay with it. So do it quickly. Do it face to face. Do it one on one and, and stay with it. Just, just get help if you need it, but just stay with it. So that's, that's dealing with conflict. Does that, does that make sense? Let me tell you a quick story. Uh, Acts chapter 15, uh, starting at verse 36. I don't, I don't think I put that on there. So let me just read it to you. Um, this, is, this is Paul after, after Jesus. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John, also called Mark. At one point, he'd wanted to take them, but John was a, a mama's boy and he wanted to go back to his mama. And so, and so Paul's still mad about that. Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with him, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul took Silas and left and commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. There's conflict. Even after all that Jesus taught us, there's conflict. But you know what? They, they just they stayed with it. They just stayed with it, trying to resolve it. And so here's the end of the story. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. I think I did put that up there. Paul, it's kind of Paul's last will and testimony. That's when he says, you know, uh, it, it, when you come to me, bring my, bring my library. I left it behind. Bring my cloak. It's cold here in the jail. Bring my coat with you. Demas hath forsaken me. I have got no friends, you know. But then he says this in verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Get John Mark. And bring him because he is helpful to me in my ministry. You know who that John Mark is? That's the John Mark that Paul and Barnabas got into a fight about a long time ago. But apparently they just stayed with it and stayed with it. And now the reconciliation is that Paul says, hey, of all the people I want with me, I want that mama's boy, John Mark. Bring him with me. Our church, our family, our our. Our community, I, you know, I'm, this is a little brash. 
But our country would be so much better if we would stay with the task of reconciling conflict rather than running from it or digging our heels against it. If we would just say, no, no, we're going we're gonna to fight through this thing until we come out better, both of us, on the other side. I believe that's what Jesus calls us to do when it comes to conflict.